Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the One Infinite Creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary of this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. And thanks for listening. Well, Nathan, here we are again. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Just uh, carrying on. Uh, it, we got back from, or I got back from the fifth channeling intensive in Colorado exactly a week ago today. So I feel like I'm starting to crawl out of the uh, the travel recovery uh, zone and am getting back to normal life. Um, and just trying to get, uh, transcripts and recordings out, uh, as quickly as we can. Um, that's, what's going on with me. Yeah, it was, um, it was wonderful to be a part of that, uh, channeling intensive. Now I think as most of you guys know, or may not know, I didn't stay the entire time. Um, but yeah, three days, three of the five days, it was solid. And, you know, my time difference was much less than yours. So I can appreciate that, uh, there's a little bit of recovery involved. I, I, well, I just felt like, you know, I was tired more often than I should be and a lot earlier than y'all were, but for the most part, it worked out all right. Um, you know, you always have problems sleeping and stuff like that, but right. I don't think like there was anything that uh, affected the quality. So that's the number one thing. Yeah, totally. Um, I was, uh, pretty happy with, uh, how things turned out. Yeah. Uh, not as many sessions as we normally do, but I think these sessions that we did get out were, uh, they had the the time and patience put into them necessary. So I'm, I'm happy. Um, yeah. So those are continuing to come out. Um, you can find them at uh, hark.otherselvesworking.group. Uh, and we're just going to post them as they become available. So anyway, uh, the topic for the podcast today uh, was kind of inspired by, you know, recent events in the world um, because it just seems like there's a lot of conflicts popping up all over the place and it's got a lot of people talking and thinking. And we wanted to check in with the Confederation to see if they had any insight into all of this. Uh, Did you have any uh, thoughts on uh, this uh, topic of conflict and piece that we're going to be discussing, Nathan? You know, I mentioned my thoughts briefly um, in the past before reading this particular channeling. And um, I think as, as we'll talk about it, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, congruence between what I was talking about earlier and and uh, what Quo says on the subject. Yeah, yeah. So I've got this Quo session from November 18th, 2001. And it's, you know, you can tell by the date, uh, 9-11 is not far in the rear view at this point. Um, and they've done a few sessions uh, in late 2001 all around uh, the issue of the 9-11 attacks. But a lot of those, uh, I think we've even done one of those on on this podcast before. But um, 
this is another one that's sort of more generally about our uh, penchant for bellicosity on third density earth and uh, looking at some of the reasons that that might be the issue. Um, so do you want to jump, jump right into the uh, session or do we need to talk a little bit more about framing this? No, I think we can just jump right in. Okay. So for that Kuo session, the question um, that prompts the group is uh, why human beings in third density, especially here on Earth, seem to be so warlike? In this particular system, we have had the experience of Mars, which was apparently so warlike that they destroyed their atmosphere. Maldek exploded its planet. Earth has had thousands of years of war. We are wondering what it is about the third density that seems to lend itself to entities in it moving in the direction of warlike actions. Is it the nature of our consciousness interacting in a social groups? Is it our free will choice? Is it our opposable thumb, our ability to make and use tools and therefore weapons? We would appreciate anything Kuo could tell us about what it is that gives us this propensity of war and what it is we need to do as individuals, groups, and nations to move in the direction of cooperation and working together instead of against each other. Um, now, right off the bat with that question, there is a reference to several um, uh, items of information that those of Ra shared with us during their contact, uh, specifically with respect to the fate of Mars, the fate of Maldek, and also this thing about um, the opposable thumb and making tools and weapons. Um, that's specifically a reference to, uh, I think the best quote about it is session 90, question 18 in the raw contact. Um, and uh, they're asking that very question. Um, why did Maldek and Mars and earth, why do all these places seem to be so uh, warlike? Uh, and Ra says, uh, it is correct that the logos designed its experiment to attempt to achieve the greatest possible opportunities for polarization in third density. It is incorrect that warfare of the types specific to your experiences was planned by the Logos. This form of expression of hostility is an interesting result, which is apparently concomitant with the tool making ability. The choice of the Logos to form, sorry, the choice of the Logos to use the life form with the grasping thumb is the decision to which this type of warfare may be traced. And um, Ra had, I think, a bit earlier talked about the thumb, the opposable thumb, and that ability to sort of uh, reach out into the world and, and more easily manipulate it to our um, uses could be a way in which maybe we aren't as contemplative as we might otherwise be, and why we might have more of a propensity to, you know, uh, use weapons against each other to achieve our desires. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like uh, the question was, was a good one. Um, the questioner, I don't, I don't know offhand uh, who's asking the question, but they're on a roll. Um, they're on such a great roll that the one thing that Raw kind of alludes to is to creating conflict. Um, there's one thing, one more thing that I came to mind that was not in the question. Did you notice it as well? Like they listed off all the possibilities, right? And then they... Um, probably forgot about one other aspect that raw talks about that kind of leads to conflict. Right. Uh, you're not talking about Orion, are you? No, no, I'm talking about the veil, right? Ah, yeah, well, yeah. sure. 
So, uh, but it, overall, it was very, uh, it was a good question. And I think it kind of uh, lays a good framework for things that Ra, those of Ross kind of touched upon as to perhaps uh, aiding to the level of conflict that we have here in this Logos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're going to go over several different uh, items, some of them that are a little bit more archetypal, um, some of them that are a little bit more uh, pertaining to our second density uh, inheritance of behaviors and reflexes and instincts. Um, and uh, also they're going to uh, look at the sort of nuances of what peace might mean, which I think is going to be an interesting contrast. So anyway, uh, let's jump right in. Kuo says, the question that you ask this day is an interesting one, one in which there is indeed a great deal to say, but not as concise and crystalline a pattern as in some matters. The causes of war within third density in one way are unified into one cause, and in another way, they are threads of a cause. It simply depends upon the level at which you wish to attack the question. We will start with the threads, we think, because perhaps that is more where each of your minds are at this time. One thread having to do with third density in war is the nature of the physical vehicle, which you as a species enjoy and which others upon other planets have somewhat closely approximated in the sense of the basic structure of the two arms, two legs, one head, one torso makeup of the body. When you gaze at the instincts of the stock from which your species developed, you may see that your instincts, those deep-seated predilections for response in certain situations, are those of a territorial animal. Your great, apes, your great apes occupy a certain area in which they are upon their home territory for hunting, food, and protecting their source of water. The nature of the species is such that for the most part, entities remain within various small groupings, each with its own territory, and with each territory being allowed its own way in what this instrument would call a laissez-faire structure, each group being independent from each other group, no attempt being made to work together in larger groups. Um, so right there, we have kind of like uh, the second density uh, entities whose bodies we invested for third density at the, at the outset of third density are bringing this kind of territorial instinct to bear. And that just right off the bat, we have this idea of, you know, conflict over land because land and private, I guess, maybe not private property, but uh, 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 taking uh, exclusive control over certain areas seems to be something that's deep seated in how we think about the world and how we think about how to relate to those familiar and unfamiliar. Yeah. Did, did I hear you say private property there? Getting into dangerous territory there, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, I, I, I backed out of that it, it, because it really isn't the concept of private property right. as is understood in political science circles. Um, it's really more an issue of that exclusive use and that exclusive ability to dominate. Um, I think that's more than just like title to property. Right. It's, a, it's a kind of way of, uh, you know, uh, forcing uh, control. Yeah. If you remember when we, uh, briefly touched upon this topic before I'd, I'd read this channeling uh, a few weeks ago, maybe even a month or two ago, you know, I mentioned that, um, sometimes it feels like the attachment to land is, is a big part of it. Um, and I love how it kind of quote brings it back to the, the primal aspects. Maybe it's a holdover from, you know, second density. Uh, you know, I, 
consider myself and 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 you and probably most of our listeners as very enlightened um and you know working on the path but for example even for me like there's a primal sense of anger if i envision the idea that in my own home there's like an invader or a burglar right like and I, i feel like in that situation I would defend myself not only out of a sense of protection, but maybe there'd be anger there as well. Like a, a sense of like, how can this happen? Right. Um, oh yeah. Whereas theoretically, like if there's a burglar or, or someone coming to my home, there's nothing logically impossible with the idea of I can just jump out the window and retreat from my own home. But I, I you know, when I was reading this passage and I thought about my own experiences, not experiences, but my own thought experiments in potentially facing a home burglary, um, you know, because virtue of my profession, I have to deal with seeing those sorts of situations external myself. Um, right. Yeah, it was like, you know what? It would feel like there's a bit of like primal, maybe second density or leftover, like animalistic rage that comes from a sense of territory over my own uh, domicile, so to speak. So I, I love, I, I really agree with kind of what Quo was saying here. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a there's a part uh, later on where they talk about how it's like kind of completely natural um, to have aggression in our people as a response to the feeling of insecurity. And since we have this genetic endowment that attaches security to territory, it's natural, you know, that all of these things would kind of fire and create a kind of general response amongst our species. <clears throat> so uh to and and i'm really interested in this way in which this is kind of the game board that we're uh playing on before we even sort of <laughs> uh make policies or make you know ideologies or philosophies we're dealing with this from the very get-go it's not built into any given way of approaching things politically or whatever um in any sense uh to investigate this uh instinct more uh those of kuo continue This is the instinct basis which feeds into the mind's working, for a portion of the mind is involved with prioritizing messages from the body, which have a tag which says urgent. Therefore, even though these instincts are unthinking, they represent a substantial bias that prejudices third-density entities in the direction of what is perceived as their territory or their possession. If you will gaze upon the tangle of reasons surrounding your bellicose actions, you will find that territorial considerations almost always play a significant role. This is the energy of Red Ray, of survival, of being expressed. When the territory is threatened in the territory, when the territory is threatened, the territory must be defended. When other territory is seen as necessary and it must be gotten, then aggression is considered reasonable. This remains a substantial portion for the reason for war in third density. Um, yeah, I don't see anything in that that doesn't completely uh, line up with <laughs> what we can see. Makes sense. Yeah, and I think what's useful about this is like is the um, is the self awareness that this kind of exists within us. Because if you're not aware, and you're just like, well, it just feels natural, and everyone else, like it's normal for people to feel this way, and you don't question whether, you know, um, perhaps the origin of that feeling or whether that feeling um, can be perhaps reasoned away a little bit, right? Um, Yeah. I think that lack of awareness 
can make it more difficult to understand the origins of the conflict or even anger within yourself if you feel involved in such a conflict. Yeah, absolutely. I think also the introduction of a chakra-based way of understanding this, uh, red ray issues, is pretty important. They said earlier that um, that you know that the second density apes we invested uh, kind of kept within their own territory and left other groups alone. There wasn't this need to connect over wider groups. That, of course, would be something more akin to yellow ray, right? Like that kind right. of seeing the self in a larger and larger polity and family or what have you. So if it's coming from red ray and it's evincing distortions in red ray, those are going to have to do, be dealt with first. Right. They're going to they're gonna climb to the, to the head of, you know, any list of priorities. All right. Those of Kuo continue. Another thread of this tapestry of third density situations in areas of conflict is the nature of the third density mind. This third density mind, without the benefit of the consciousness that is you as an internal being, is a choice maker mind. It is designed to make one choice after another. It assumes as a way of working that there is always a right choice and therefore sees the process of living as a sequence of choices. Faced with a situation, the third density mind will attempt to solve the situation, not necessarily to appreciate it, to understand it, to analyze it, or to plumb its subtleties. The first mental reflex is to solve it, to make it go away. The tendency to see black and white, yes and no, feeds into that ability to be belligerent, which is indeed a hallmark of your density. The very nature of the mind is such that it tends to suggest to the most rational thinker that decisions must be made, that plans must be made, that all must be chosen and then whipped into order along the lines of choice. Now, this is an interesting thing because it brings in uh, that veil uh, topic that you noticed was missing from the original question. Right. I mean, if anything, I think what we learn as we delve into ourselves on, on this path is that it's... Um, Real life is very rarely black or white. Yeah. Yeah. And because we are veiled from our full resources, we tend to get stuck with this, with this part of our mind that's very adept at dealing with the survival uh, and social and identitarian issues in that narrow sense for this material experience that we have in waking life. Um, and so from that point of view, we, by, because we're limiting ourselves from, you know, any of the resources that would allow us to access greater peace and then manifest that, um, we kind of end up falling back into those old patterns of thinking, um, that don't require us to necessarily, uh, take a stand for an abstract principle. Instead, it's more. It's not, it's not about taking a stand for peace or for unity or anything like that. Uh, it can only be uh, some sort of either uh, grasping for security or, you know, in those martyrdom cases, some sort of sacrifice of security, right? Yeah, and, and the idea of um, there's, there's a problem to solve and that um, it's black and white and that rationality will lead you to the answer, I think is... Um, a common, I would say, misconception 
So I think for those of us who have a lot of experience in fields where are supposedly very uh, rational, you know, unless we're talking about like strict mathematics or something of that nature, rational arguments, you can often justify anything. Um, just, yeah. just if you just tweak the premise or the assumptions you start with, sometimes these premises and, and assumptions can be very reasonable sounding. You can get completely different outcomes in terms of the logical reasoning that leads from them. And I don't think it's appreciated a lot. Uh, I would say it's only really, in my experience, appreciated in the field of law, where it's clear how you can kind of uh, worm your way into a given logical argument. But mm-hmm. um, I think the idea that there's a solution, it's things are black and white, and that logic and rationality, which is really right, the yellow right third density mind, will lead you to it, is almost not fully understanding the nature of the mind and the nature of logic and how often it's these unexamined presumptions and assumptions that can vastly change the outcome or the application of logic to a given situation. Yeah. It's like some uh, combination of factors that exacerbates the situation. We have this third density mind, which has no real uh, resource other than the vagus intuition or rationality, unless it's going to, you know, delve deeper into things. And so that combined with our, um, our proclivity to uh, create tools and stuff like that also further reinforces this outward focus and then things on the outside that are inherently, you know, outside of ourselves and therefore not under our control become vital and crucial. And it creates this whole thing where either they control it or I control it. Um, And then all of the narratives that come from war usually involve some sort of like, they're all this, I'm all that, you know, that this kind of black and white thinking that allows for that harsh action to feel justifiable and reasonable. Absolutely. Okay. So moving along on the threads of the thinking behind war, Kuo continues, Another thread that moves into the war-making ability of humankind and of third density in general is, as the one known as Jim suggested, the challenge of working with groups. The great question in any group is, what is the character of that group? A group shows its character as it chooses its leaders. Those who attempt to be leaders within large groups tend to have personality structures in which the use of aggression seems fair. The use of influence, just the use of all advantages necessary. The tendency, therefore, is for leadership not to be as idealistic as the spoken ideal philosophy that is given respect in polite company, while at the same time, as the one known as Jim pointed out, ignores those same ideals when it seems to be of some advantage. Now, this is an interesting aspect. Um, it gets into the yellow ray specifically Um, the specific yellow ray energies that are involved here when it gets involved in the group and starts to see how those energies are channeled by certain personalities. Um, It's interesting in particular that they bring in the personality because this is a subject that uh, our group has um, dealt with uh, a couple of times in our work in the fourth and fifth channeling intensives, one on the, uh, the, the connection between our shadow selves and authoritarian personalities in society, 
And then also uh, we were looking at uh, the situation where the use of will is done uh, unconsciously as the personality gets stronger. And when Quo, that was a raw quote. And when Quo uh, addressed that quote, they brought in the personality from the get-go as a kind of energy distribution system. So I'm really starting to get interested in how personalities in particular are these kinds of energy distribution uh, hubs that are able to channel the group energy in these specific ways and thereby because they go through these choke points of these specific personalities called leaders get imbued with the leaders distortions in the process. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting subject. I don't know if I'm that familiar with uh, personality structures in this context. Um, When you're reading this paragraph though, I also wondered, uh, from like an evolutionary psychology or just like primate psychology, uh, at least in some of the primates, you know, I think you do have like, uh, the leader usually exerting a lot of control through aggression, right? At least in, yeah. in some, in some animal groups. And I wonder how much of this is also at least partially related to, you know, second density holdovers. Um, also, you know, I think we've talked about the idea that, you can't solve third density problems um, without the use of the green ray, basically, right? And so if you have a lot of people who perhaps are not polarized yet or using the green ray, uh, they're going to be making decisions on the basis of the red, orange, and yellow. And often, if you're not operating on, on the level of green, I think it's very easy to be more uh, accepting, or maybe not more accepting, but more comfortable with those who those leaders who get to the top by closing their heart and just like um, basically embodying all the traits necessary for like an authoritarian power hungry figure, right. To get to the top, to win it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a subset of human traits that those who find themselves at the top tend to, tend to uh, 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 bring out more than others. Um And it's just interesting. I wonder if a lot of times the reason why these people tend to be channelers of conflict in our social structures and our political structures, uh, if in doing that, they're kind of tapping in and magnifying conflicts within ourselves and within our groups that we don't identify and then go, you know, it's, it's a typical pattern in societies to sort of like, you know, deal with the frustration of the contradictions in one society and like externalize it to a foreign enemy. Absolutely. You know, before you were saying that, as soon as you're going on that thread, I was thinking the exact same thing. So I definitely think that's kind of a, a factor there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, there was something you said that I, I wanted to uh, push back on a little bit. I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that third density situations can really ever be solved at all. No, no, I, 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 don't know I if, agree with that. I wasn't. Okay, cool. No, no, that's what I was you saying. Said like, something I, about green ray, green right, ray. Right. So I guess what I mean is like, like, until you get to fourth density, because if, yeah, if the vast yeah. majority of people have their green ray open, you're already in fourth density, right? So that, that was exactly. kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. All right. All this clear. Okay. Um, let's continue with Kuo. They say, all of these threads feed into the situation where entities feeling threatened, respond to their insecurity by aggression. You may see the fight for territory. You may see the greed for advantage, influence, and power. 
You may see the tendency to do something as opposed to resting and gathering for extended periods of time, that impatience of leadership, that impulsivity. And a final thread that we would mention is the tendency of the stronger to bully the weaker. And by this, we mean to indicate not nations against nations, but rather, as the one known as C pointed out, male against female, one kind of energy over against its dynamic opposite, instead of coming into cooperation with that dynamic opposite. We have found that in populations of third density entities who have chosen to seek the face of the creator in a feminine face, the values of the culture include far less impulsivity and far more kindness than in cultures dominated by a creator who is seen as a powerful male figure. The tendency to find positions of power held by male entities, the tendency of the very workings of the law, and certainly the traditional underpinnings of your cultures upon your earth at this time, favor the values of strength, power, and force, the virtues of a strong male figure. Now, this is the archetypal uh, concept that I was alluding to earlier. Um, I do think that we have to reckon with this um, male-centric thinking that does seem to be rampant on this planet. You know, um, I think I've mentioned this before that it would be great if there was more confederation material on how they kind of talk about or define, you know, feminine and masculine but um, I, I, giving the most broad interpretation, I can see what Quo is talking about here. I would just say that, uh, like, there's, uh, there's certainly strong male archetypes. Like, I would actually more word it as distorted ma- masculine energy. And the reason I say that is that I do see, like, strong masculine archetypes that um, are not often embraced that could also lead to you know, a very peaceful society. Like, um, and once again, these are, these are, I don't know if uh, they have much support in confederation material, but just from my understanding of like history. So for example, kind of like the, um, the wise old man, right. And there's definitely wise old women, but the wise old man or the sage is kind of like a type of male archetype that you see, like that contemplative philosopher. um, Not that it doesn't exist outside of, of, you know, male, female, type of roles but um i think the the masculine or the male strong male figure they're talking about here is really a subset of a type of masculine energy as opposed to just the masculine energy itself that would be my uh, humble thoughts on that subject yeah no I, I would agree with you it's just it's a it's a distortion that has been magnified over time somehow maybe even going back to other planets experiences Absolutely. with huge swaths of our population um, yeah, I just, I just think that it's interesting. This is one of those internal unresolved conflicts that are being expressed because I think the balance between masculine and feminine and feminine energies is something that we deal with within ourselves as well. Um, I think everybody, regardless of their gender expression deals with the fact that there's this imbalance between male and female, and therefore it has to kind of be reconciled somehow. Um, or it spills out. And uh, uh, Kuo seems here to say that it definitely spills out. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. And I also think, you know, it, we, might, we might have talked about this on the podcast, or we've definitely talked about it in person, that um, it's my belief that the archetypal energies, masculine and feminine, and I think there's some support in, in uh, the tarot about this, the, the raw tarot archetypes, that... Um, 
there's a further uh, specialization of the masculine and feminine energy on both paths. So you can have the positive feminine and the positive masculine, but you can also have the negative or the service to self masculine and the service to self feminine. And I think in my, in my experience or in my thoughts on the subject, the service to self masculine has been a very dominant distorted energy on the planet much more so than the positive service to others masculine energy. Yeah. The, the, the key is the balance and it's always going to be in the favor of service to self entities that they seek some kind of imbalance because that creates the tension and friction from which they draw their energy. Um, and there's of course, multiple ways to do that. Um, yeah. I think also like just the, um, they also talked about impulsivity and impatience in general. I definitely see that within myself as causing conflict a lot just because, you know, we have this desire for a resolution. Like if I, if I, if I create a conflict, I may come out not happy. I may come out have lost, but at least I'll have resolution and that inability to sit with the indeterminate nature of things in this world sometimes really gets to me. And I think it gets to humans generally, if I'm not uh, overgeneralizing too much there. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, the um, impulsive, impulsivity and patience aspect, um, because I was thinking, because I think it links back to what I was just talking about as well. So for example, uh, you're familiar with the uh, archetype of the, uh, the lovers, right? Which is, yeah, I should know this, but <laughs> I believe it's the uh, it's in the mind and it's basically transformation of the mind, right? It's transformation right. of mind. That's correct. So if you look at it, right. Um, in my opinion, even though there's three individuals depicted a man and then, you know, the virgin, and I think the prostitute is the terms used on, on either side of them, though that, uh, that image sh shows what I was talking about. Um, both positive masculinity, positive femininity, uh, negative masculinity and negative femininity. And with respect to the negative, like, you know, the, the, the man choosing the prostitute that ties into impatience, right. Versus, uh, pursuing the virgin, so to speak. So it's just interesting yeah. that these, all these concepts are very interrelated at a deep level. Yeah. I, I, I don't see, um, the transformation of mind archetype as, as dealing with male and female energy specifically. I've never really thought about it that way. Um, because those of raw talk about it as these two different ways of using the mind. Um, but maybe there is one that, uh, uh, interpretation that maps more generally. I don't know. I just never thought of it. Yeah. I mean, it just, um, it just, came I, I don't, I don't like the idea of having archetypes in which they're explicitly prostituted, uh, visions of the female, uh, that aren't heavily symbolic because I don't know, that just seems, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the term either, but uh, I was just, I think those are the terms <laughs> used in raw, right? So. Oh, they do. They do. Yeah, they yeah. say the prostituted entity. Oh. Yeah. Maybe that's just one of those uh, uh, postcards from the eighties, different time. <laughs> yeah. In any case, we know what they mean, which is this desire to access the, the, the resources in a, an aggressive right. and domineering way, rather than to access it um, in a more patient way that Absolutely. brings uh, the mind along with the uh, overall project and seeks to cooperate with it. Yeah. 
Anyway, those of Kuo continue. The very roots of your thinking, shall we say, from childhood have been saturated with testosterone-rich heroic deeds. This entity has a fondness for reading, and we find in the entity's mind many, many a story which involves the waving of the sword, the brandishing of the firearm, the assumption that weaponry and armament are natural concomitants of policy. And indeed, and here's where it gets weird, guys, we do not disparage war in and of itself. It is part of the almost inevitable confusion of third density. We do not suggest strict ways of thinking about conflict, for a case can be made for war as a game, as an excellent game, rich in glory and honor. Like many other things which, from a wider point of view, seem insane, going to war is a part of the expression of third density, as most third density planets experience this density. That that one really uh, kind of floored me, but it's not it's not out of line with some of the things that Ra has said about war either, about how it's kind of just another experience. Absolutely, and you know, Ra specifically mentions that um, Abraham Lincoln was you know kind of doing positive work with uh, his involvement in you know the Civil War and you know emancipation and you know basically fighting against very service to self philosophies by uh, which is you know slavery. So, uh, and I think he gives a few other examples. Um, he, those of Ra, <laughs> not he, but uh, Ra does give a few other examples. I, I can't, I don't remember off the top, off the top of my head, but um, yeah, like uh, it's it's very interesting how uh, there's there is a sense of romance about uh, I think for some guys at least being you know uh, skilled in the ways of warfare. Um, so it is, it is interesting. And I think it also goes back to maybe second density vestiges, right? You want to be able to defend yourself, your family, you know, um, because in second density, there's no like police force or anything like that. And even in third density, being able to defend yourself is not a bad skill to have. You know, it, the fact no. is you look at crime rates in a lot of places, um, it, it is potentially something that could be of use. Yeah. Like I've often thought that if you don't even have any interest in defending yourself, there's no sacrifice involved in that case in just surrendering and giving in, uh, maybe even out of love. If the, if you don't even have the other choice available to you, it's only when you have the ability to defend yourself that laying down your arms out of love has meaning, right? <laughs> so beautiful. I love it. Yeah, that's absolutely oh. true. No, <laughs> did you come up with that on the fly or did you, have you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pulled out of your back pocket? Yeah, but but I'm more but I'm more interested in the way and I think that's part of what that that kind of thinking is part of what they're getting at when they say that they do not disparage war. Because when they when they talk about it in any kind of positive way, it's about it being a game. It's about it having a lot of glory, uh like that's an opportunity for showing courage and showing sacrifice. It's the things that humans find themselves doing in war. That have pot that have the ability to polarize or not, but it's not the war in and of itself that's good or bad. That's just some kind of like stupid policy we're making at a more collective level. I it makes sense in the, in, in in this sense that you and I and probably the listener are going to have very little impact on any ruler's ability to make and send us to war. <laughs> Excuse me. So. It, it just it just bears what what do we actually have control over? What is our choice here? 
it is not to prevent a war from happening unless we can mobilize in vast numbers. Um, and that's not up to us individually. We can do our best, but that's not up to us. And so to look at war as just another human event, I mean, that that to me, there, there's, a, there's a real historical lineage there. That war is something that's been going on for a long time. We, we sort of approach it as automatically a kind of failure of ours in third density. Maybe that's not quite the right way to think about it, uh, at, at, at least to the extent that we're in third density. To the extent that we are headed into fourth density, I think the consciousness on this planet is quickly uh, arriving at the conclusion that we've got to do something better because now the ways that we have to destroy each other are truly like truly dangerous to life on earth generally. So might I suggest an audible, so to speak, um, if you're so interested, Jeremy. So specifically with respect to this point on war, there's another channeling about basically Hatan's transition from third to fourth density and, you know, basically a massive world war. And I, you know, that I think the reason war is maybe so um, disliked, I mean, obviously there's many reasons to dislike it, is maybe it comes from two factors that I can think of. One, it's very, very painful, right? It's just pain for people physically dying, physically getting hurt, psychological pain of losing your loved ones and your friends, right? Uh, cutting short lives, it's very painful. Of all the things in life, it causes a lot of pain for a lot of people, uh, a lot of destruction. And the second thing is, is that it feels, um, that it feels permanent. Whatever, whatever changes that are caused by war, especially death, it feels permanent. But if you if you look at it from the perspective of maybe someone outside of the veil, um, I think the permanence is because the veil is so strong, right? And we're not we're not easily connected to our greater selves that have reincarnated many times, right? We don't we don't remember our past lives. We don't necessarily feel like um, we're connected to all things unless we've done a lot of personal work, right? We just feel like oh, when 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 we die, we go away, right? Um, yeah. Even even I would say for me, like that's kind of a that's kind of a feeling that's sometimes there. Um, you know, if you let's say you haven't been meditating for two three months, right? Uh, which hasn't occurred in the recent past, but in the past 10 years it has. And whenever you do that, it, for me, it feels like the veil becomes stronger, right? It feels like, oh man, things are so much more permanent. This life is so much more important because this is all I have. So I think it's a different mm -hmm. perspective when you're kind of uh, sitting outside the veil, which, you know, those are quo, quo are when they're talking to us. Um, and also because we don't have the long view, we don't see how transformative pain can be, right? But the stories yeah. of like Hatan's origin story, of third to fourth density of having a massive world war where basically food was collapsing and pop, everyone was starving that actually allowed them to open the heart. Um, you know, so it's, I think it's interesting in the sense that if you, you know, you have to look at what the Confederation has done or not done, right? What have they not done? It doesn't seem like they tried to intervene in a significant factor to stop what was happening on Maldek. I'm sure they did, you know, I'm sure they had wanderers and they had, people intervening, but I, I don't think they actually tried to stop the nuclear war on Maldek or Mars, right? So it's like yeah. the understanding that creation has about conflict and war and death 
is very different than perhaps what we naturally feel about it because they have a much longer view and a much more um, unity-based view and a learning-based view of how uh, useful it can be to the growth of an individual soul. Yeah. Not a very satisfying answer, but once again, I think it's because it's so hard to perceive that we're, we are um, infinite beings who are just, uh, or I think the phrase is we're spiritual beings having a human experience as opposed to a human being having a spiritual experience. Yeah. And I think you put the uh, uh, hammer on the nail head when you said that a lot of it has to do with the transformative power of pain, unfortunately. Um, it reminds me of this uh, rock quote that uh, talks about uh, uh, the relationship between the self and war. It's a uh, session 34, question 14. They say this war and self relationship is a fundamental perception of the maturing entity. There is a great chance to accelerate in whatever direction is desired. One may polarize negatively by assuming bellicose attitudes for whatever reason. One may find oneself in the situation of war and polarize somewhat towards the positive, activating orange, yellow, and then green by heroic, if you may call them this, actions taken to preserve the mind-body-spirit complexes of other selves. Finally, one may polarize very strongly forthright by expressing the principle of universal love at the total expense of any distortion towards involvement in bellicose actions. In this way, the entity may become a conscious being in a very brief span of your time space. This may be seen to be what you would call a traumatic progression. It is to be noted that among your entities, a large percentage of all progression has as catalyst trauma. There it is right there. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like a lot of wanderers can definitely sympathize with the idea that uh, they kind of chose some trauma, and um, but the purpose of that choice, uh, pre-incarnated choice, was to help them grow and learn, right? Yeah. So the task, as always, is to try to find the love in that somehow. You know, coincidentally, um, I just remembered, and I actually wrote this down in my in a. I occasionally keep a dream journal when I woke up today, but uh, I had a dream about war. I was in a war, <laughs> um, but you know, I was just like, okay. Uh, I woke up, wrote it down. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to meditate on that, figuring out um, maybe what co what concepts that war was exploring. But uh, yeah, in the dream, it seems much more serious, of course. But then when you wake up, it's like, oh, it's just another way to learn, right? Or provide an opportunity for learning. From that wider perspective that is sometimes available to us in dreams. Yeah, I know what you mean. Puts it in a different context. And you're thinking about things in more universal terms. And, you know, there's many, um, many practices, and I'm guessing the Confederation has touches on the subject that uh, sometimes uh, looking at waking life through the lens of a dream can actually be useful uh, for, uh, in order to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, those of Kuo continue, and they're going to delve into this love topic. They say, beyond all these reasons, the heart of war and the heart of the reason for war in third density is the nature of love. All things that you experience come to you as distortions of love. There is no other substance but love from which to draw life. So all of life, including murder, pillage, and rape, 
is an is act after act of love, love distorted, love blocked, love asked to go where it would not go. Nevertheless, no matter how many times the stock seems to be hybridized and ruined, the basic root stock of all experience is love. Third density is a very focused, very intense density, the density of choice. The choice is not between love and hate. The choice is between two ways of seeking love, loving others as a way of choosing to love or loving the self as a way of choosing to love. Now, this gets into like things that I think are really difficult to express because it's hard to look at such uh, perversities and horrible crimes as expressions of love. And yet, I think this is another example, this is another opportunity in the study of the Confederation philosophy where we have to, you know, take a pause and really meditate on what it is that we think love is because it is not this sentimental, sappy force that we often attribute uh, qualities to it in that way. It is something that created and destroyed universes. And it is a powerful force that runs the spectrum. And sometimes uh, it's because we have these strictures on our idea of what love is that it's so hard for us to look for it. I mean, there are definitely things that I that they described here that I would say do not seem loving to me, but they're only because they're looked at in the abstract. They're not looked at as actual expressions of the human heart. In that expression of the human heart, there is a story, there is a system of experiences that have created blockages and trauma and stuff like that. And I think if I'm guessing, because I still think it's a mystery to find love in everything, I still think that's the essence of the magical act. And therefore, it's very, very uh, difficult to perform. I think it is there in that understanding of each other and each other's experiences that we start to see when we look at the world and we say, how could it have possibly gotten so screwed up? How can it possibly gotten so tainted and, 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 and polluted with hate? There's, there's a reason that that happened. It's not just the way things are necessarily. We don't have to approach it that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely with you on this, Jeremy. Like when you think of, for example, um, finding love in the moment of murder, certainly the murderer, you could say is, um, showing a lot of self-love, right? Service to self, uh, either active polarization or leaning that way in what they're doing, right? So certainly for the murderer, there's love. Um, but for the victim, it's hard to see where the love is. Um, the only thing I can really see is that that trauma that the victim experienced can often be transformed yeah. into a very powerful lesson of love, usually later in time. But if time is perhaps an illusion of some sort, maybe in a certain way, the outflow of love that you can transform trauma into links back to the moment of the trauma as well. But it's just, it's hard for me though. when, like, let's say you're in a situation where you're being victimized. Like it doesn't seem like there's a lot of love <laughs> on the receiving end. Right. At least in that moment. So I, I, I think it's kind of a mystery as well. And it's one that I'm yeah, still trying there's to no, There's no point in us trying to like, brainwash ourselves into thinking love something is something other than what we're trying to feel. So it's really a kind of thing that we're feeling into and we can't expect it to make a whole lot of rational sense. 
So those of Kuo continue. Needless to say, the service to others path is not a warlike path. It is allegedly service to self-entities that would move themselves into fighting against their own kind. And yet the struggle to see clearly the roots of love within the self is a tremendous one. As the one known as Jim's as the one known as Jim has said, it is not that anyone knows not how to love. There are many examples of unconditional love. There are very simple words to indicate the qualities of forgiveness, compassion, and love. However, all of these words are only within the mind until an energetic attempt begins to be made to translate these ideals into that which can be manifested in physical life. So the question becomes, what is each seeker's response to the call of love? And this is not a simple thing. It is easy for us to ask each to go into meditation each day and seek the silence. The answers are there within the silence, not within our words. However, when it comes to attempting to step into your shoes as third-density entities, we find that we are simply glad that each of you has the energy and the will for this great task of seeing the truth amidst the confusion. Love calls powerfully and pulls each entity forward. Third density is carefully designed to pull entities forward according to their desires and their thirst. The challenge of selfhood to find out the challenge of selfhood is to find out what you truly desire. What shall you desire? Truth, love, peace? Where is the substance to those words? Where is the reality beneath your feet? What is your understanding of your journey? If you understand that you are here to pursue spiritual evolution, that you are here to answer the call of love, then you will want to shape your questions to the infinite creator in such a way that you are seeking your own essence and the essence of love itself. All right. So I, I read a little bit long there because I wanted to have a whole concept there about the sort of the full 360 of love that they're treating there. Um, the, the main point seems to be that, you know, we can talk about these high ideals and all that. And this is great. It gives us a North Star to aspire to. Um, before self-consciousness and the reflectiveness that, that engenders, we don't have the ability. We're, we're at the whim of the environment and the pack uh, in second density. In third density, we start to have this idea that these concepts can be implemented in our lives. And, and, and while it, they're, they're pure concepts that don't get any tarnish if we keep them in our minds, and we don't test them. It's only through testing them and feeling how it feels to act according to them and to feel the feedback from that. That's when we truly understand these things. And unfortunately, it looks like war is one of these experiences in which we do this learning. It is. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting when Quo talks about like, what do you truly desire? Um, yeah. You know, Raw talks about this, that um, it's useful to kind of look look into your desire, but also kind of uh, try to clear the rays from the bottom up. And I think at least for sometimes for some advanced or more advanced seekers, they can try to skip those primary lessons of, you know, red, yeah. orange and yellow. And if you try to skip over the distortions in those rays, you'll usually get a, dis a distorted version of what type like if you you know you i think everyone wants truth love and peace in a certain sense but unless you kind of make sure you're approaching yourself and your desires holistically not only focusing on you know um the upper rays 
you can sometimes stagnate a little bit unless you're willing to be honest and ask yourself, if you haven't asked yourself, like, what do I want for my daily life? What do I want with my, the relationship with myself? What do I want from society as a whole and what sort of career I want? Like, at least from my path, those questions were very essential in helping me uh, further unlock my heart. Now, in this life, you know, I felt like my heart was pretty open early on, uh, even before I resolved these lower ray issues. But um, it was very important to me for me to dig down into my desire, uh, both as a very earthly, grounded human being and also as a, a spiritual being with maybe um, pursuits that are more uh, in the upper rays. And in a certain sense, yeah. it's, it was almost like a war with myself, right? It's like you're trying to discover what what part of you, uh, how much of you, you is going to be dedicated to like a purely um, maybe esoteric spiritual life and how much of your desire is also in having a very grounded physical life, right? Uh, whether it's with family, friends, job. And I, and I think in a certain sense, sometimes very hard catalyst can actually jumpstart those questions, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're in a lot of pain, it's very difficult to ignore and just ask yourself, you know, what will, what does your heart want? That's one question, but you might, maybe the pain is coming from your daily life, right? You're just, you're just not happy yeah. with your daily life and you have to go there and also ask what changes would I like to see to live my ideal life? Um, yeah. And I think war can do that in, from a certain perspective as well. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, this whole idea of, I mean, one thing that war has uh, that you can't deny is that it really, forces you to put it on the line in that moment uh, where you're in maximum danger, what are you going to do? And uh, they definitely see that there are polarized, there are polarizing uh, decisions that can be made in those scenarios. Right. Cause if, I mean, you've you probably, everyone has probably heard the spiritual advice, like live every day as if it's your last. Well, if you're on the battlefield, that's not a thought experiment. That's a real reality. Right. And, and just having that as a real reality forces yourself to think about, like, what is the relationship with myself? Right? Am I happy with who I am if I die today? Like, you know, am I happy with my, you know, my relationships with my friends and family? You know, the type of person I am in society, you know, the amount of and certainly there'll be heart level issues as, as well. Right. Like, am I happy with um, how much I'm just showing love to others and just embracing the moment and, and being truthful? But it also really forces you to it all. It really forces you to ask all the questions regarding all the rays, because yeah, there's a sense of like the, any moment might be your last. So you might as well do like a full inventory of yourself. You know. Yep, it's a very complex uh, issue that has deep roots in our own thinking and our own blockages, as well as societal ones, um, and that's something that Kuo addresses in the next passage. They say, it is thought by some that if people would stop shooting at each other, that we would have peace. And yet we say to you that it is not as simple as that. For as the one known as C said, if one stops doing that, then what does one do instead? At least aggression against a certain and very specific nation state or group of entities is a limited and achievable battle and at the end of it, one can say, such and such has been achieved, and now there is peace. 
And yet we say to you, like love itself, peace is beyond all condition. Peace does not originate within conditions. Peace is a quality that is waiting for each third density entity to take it and claim it as its as his own, his very own, a wonderful, blessed possession. Yet how many entities truly seek the peace within their own hearts, which comes from stopping the striving and encouraging the resting in what is? How many entities truly embrace peace if peace involves releasing many other things which are dear? I think that's a... Uh, a great way of tying this idea of what do we truly desire in with these kind of pat uh, rationalistic uh, ways of approaching the roots of war and saying, well, we just have to get people. It's kind of like gun violence too, right? Oh, we just have to take away all the guns. I'm sure that would do a lot, but it, it, there's a root issue here that needs to be addressed. Uh, the, 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 the upside of what they're saying in many ways is that, it doesn't seem like policy necessarily or politics are, are a way that we are going to address these issues. Like the, the, the upside is that they're much more actionable because they start within. You know, it often feels like, um, you know, people often project their unhappiness onto external issues. And I think that also um, can create a lot of conflict. And I think that's what I was thinking about when they said, you know, if, pieces within and you know each individual has to claim it um because if you don't if you don't really seek it out you know and do all the personal work that is necessary in order to feel it and, and, and embrace peace at a deep level at the heart level you're gonna have you're gonna be upset and at times and you're gonna want to i think naturally project that onto external things external causes for why you're you're not being peaceful or why you're you know, feeling like angry or full of conflict. Um, and when that happens, it tends to lead to more external conflict, you know, even including war or some sort of physical altercation. Um, you know, I feel like the last sentence of this paragraph, how many entities truly embrace peace if peace involves releasing many other things which are dear, I think it kind of leads to the next paragraph. Um, yeah. Because I did want to comment on that last sentence, but I think it's better that we move on to the next paragraph and comment on it more fully. Yeah, let's let's do that now. Kuo says, the one known as Jesus answered the man who said, I follow all of the commandments. What else shall I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? By suggesting that he sell all that he had and give the money that he received to the poor. And the young man went away very unhappy because he did not wish to do this, even if it meant entering the kingdom of heaven. Pride, vanity, the need to do the need to be better than someone else. All of these are energies within the human heart that are natural to the instinctual second density body and third density brain. Yet you are a consciousness as an eternal being are sorry, <laughs> yet you as a consciousness, as an eternal being, are resting within these biases for an incarnational experience in which you are attempting to follow the inexorable pressure of seeking for the truth. And your question each day to yourself, it's always the same. Where in this moment is the love? Where in this moment is the creator? All right. Does that tee you up, Nathan? Yeah. So, you know, this, um, you know, this, this concept of, you know, uh, where Jesus suggests that he should sell to the, someone who's asking, he should sell all that he had to give money to, that he received to the poor. Um, I like that point that 
that that's being discussed because I think a lot of times I've discussed a similar concept, you know, in spiritual circles, and I think it's heavily misunderstood. People can read this and think, oh, just like a commandment, here's another rule that Jesus is suggesting we follow and just give away our money and sell everything we have and it'll bring you closer, you know, to the kingdom of heaven. And I don't think you can become spiritual by following rules. So what I think this story is about is for every person to truly consider giving up everything that they hold dear and all the values that they're raised with, they, to truly question every single underlying thing, including the, the, the value of the money they have, the, the value of the career that brings them the money, the lifestyle that they have, where they're living. You know, because everyone is familiar with people who, you know, go and live like monks, whether in the forest like Buddha, going to a monastery, living with very little, right? And I think what is essential for me is that it's the willingness to question and perhaps even temporarily explore or perhaps permanently explore this sort of living that will, one, help you discover what you truly desire, and two, will also help you um, remove the attachments you might have. And then after removing the attachments and also examining your desires in an unfettered way, where you're starting from ground zero, where you're trying to remove all of the distortions as much as possible that you were almost brainwashed with when you're growing up, right? Or traumatized into, yeah. because some of these rules you'll have will be from your own trauma in your childhood. But if, you were, if you're willing to go there deep in meditation, and for me, it was a few years of this, where you question everything, including all of the creature comforts and everything, and perhaps even trying out a minimalistic life, that's only when you truly discover what is important to yourself and you also lose the attachment to those things. So once you lose the attachment to those things, you can actually paradoxically somewhat engage with them without them holding you back from the kingdom of heaven um, or from holding you back from the path uh, you know, of service to others. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Um, it's uh, just one of those things where we have to keep having the faith to look for that thread of love in each situation um, and, uh, work on our distortions. Um, it's, it seems so un, unrealistic that things like, you know, international war would start within ourselves, but that is the one place that we have that where we can really find what peace actually means. Cause I know for sure that the politicians don't know <laughs> and the society in general does not know what peace is. It's clearly not the answer is clearly not out there, it seems to me. Um, and, you know, specifically on the subject of peace, what's been true in my explorations is that peace is actually a very, very, very intense emotion that I think most people only scratch the surface of. Um, when I deeply meditate on peace in my heart chakra, that deep sense of peace becomes so deep that it's transmuted to basically orgasmic ecstasy that's the best way to describe it it's literally like it's almost like and you know this is such a a hard concept to describe in words that i'm not sure i i can describe it in words and i'm not sure that what i'm about to say is fully accurate but this is how i would describe it it's like i think most people who have been really stressed out in life without knowing that they're stressed out 
later on when they reduce the stress, they realize, oh man, I was, I was stressed and I didn't even realize it, right? Because when you have a baseline of certain amount of stress and you don't vary that baseline through meditative practices, you don't even realize you're stressed, right? Um, it's almost like when you get used to, you know, let's say uh, not getting enough sleep, you don't even realize you're sleep deprived, right? Because you're kind of just used to it, right? That's the same thing with stress. So if you have a certain level of stress, and I would say most people in society unknowingly have a certain level of stress. Obviously, they might know about a large amount of stress, but most people are more than moderately stressed out. They don't even realize it because that's their baseline. And then when they finally relax, they're like, oh, I feel content, right? And then when they start implementing meditative practices, they start feeling peaceful. Well, what's interesting is when you really start to work on your race and, 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 and distortions and unblocking yourself, that piece, then there's a further level of peace where it's like literally orgasmic ecstasy. And it's like you're tapping into the nature of baseline reality. And it's talked about in many different, in many different texts, including uh, the law of one, right? Uh, I think they, I think they hint about opening the gateway. It, it, it's associated with some of those uh, feelings, but it's, um, it's, it's always interesting to me how, how limited a lot of people's understanding of peace is when really it's one of the deepest emotions and most powerful emotions that I'm familiar with. Yeah. I, I think it has to do with this idea of peace as a positive, uh, 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 state of mind that is not simply the absence of conflict, right? Like it's not just peace as, oh, well, you're not fighting anybody or you're not uh, angry with anybody. It's like this whole other idea, this whole other vibration. Um, there's another Kuo, I believe, uh, from a few years later, from 2001, where Kuo describes, uh, they talk about peace as a living, the concept of peace as a living thing, not as a dead idea. It's not just this idea that everything's going to work out. It's like this force that you're channeling into each situation to bring about this sense of equanimity and the sense of security and the rightness of things. I like that description of it. It does feel like a, a force. It feels like it's a field yeah. almost. Yeah. All right. So let's delve into this a little further. Kuo says, so we do not suggest that it is an evil thing to go to war in and of itself. We do suggest that it is not a productive way to seek spiritually compared to the ways of peace. Yet in many ways, your third density will express conflict because this is the basic nature of people who see themselves as separate from and over against others. This is a part of the catalyst of third density. It is a part of the hard lessons of love. And indeed, it does move through not just third density, but also, to some extent, fourth density. For there are those within fourth density who choose to continue as children of light or as children of darkness and continue to clash of the polarities. As fourth density wears on, this great love of being a warrior begins to evaporate as love is better learned. Each has had crystalline, shining moments in his life when love has become real, not just a word. Not just a concept, but amazingly, vividly, powerfully real. Think about those times and the gift that those times have given you. Allow the consciousness that you that you feel that filled you at those moments to come back to you, just to remember how it feels. 
We encourage each to ponder deeply her own essence and the nature of her own heart. The heart of one entity and the heart of the world upon which you live are the microcosm and the macrocosm of the same thing. And actually, each of you is of a higher order than the world itself. As you choose to seek, to think, and to act, so shall the reflections manifest in the macrocosm that is your globe. Work with the essence of self to find ways to choose not to promote conflict, ways to express the truths that do not do damage to those who think differently. But above all, seek that presence within that is as the ray of light that is a fuller light, a light that blesses the darkness, a light that is not afraid. Open the self to that gentle, lambent flame that is the presence of the infinite creator. Let that light take up and enlarge its home within your heart. As you seek the ways of peace within yourself, as you find ways to solve conflict within yourself, you are learning a little bit more for the planetary mind. Now, this is really cool because it starts to bring in the concept of where we're headed with all of this, that this perpetual conflict we seem to experience in third density is not the end of the story. Um, but it really does seem to begin with the way that the kind of vibrations that we are putting out into the world of our own accord. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how long this transition takes and how that from third to fourth density and how that reflects on the on you know the planetary mind and, and on the planet overall. Although at this time it seems like uh, we're very much still in third density, so who knows? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's just you know there. If if you want to. Uh, wrap this up. There's only two more paragraphs and it really does address that what things seem. So let's just bring it to uh, bring it over the finish line here. Kuo says there is a fairly quickly, fairly quickly growing group of those who are attempting to speak peace upon your planet, not in ways of public policy, but in ways of working within to become beings of peace. We see this body of energy enlarging upon your planet. And we feel very hopeful that against all of the apparent news to the contrary in your earth world, the lessons of love are more and more being seen, sometimes for the first time. Entities are awakening and doing some of this inner choosing of essence that we suggest. As more individual lives are transformed, so we believe shall your planet be transformed. We would encourage each not to take to heart the appearance of things. It is said in your holy works that there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be this and there will be that, but the time is not yet. And we say to you that we believe this to be true. The true war for each of you is the struggle that the one known as Jim called the Yihad, the internal struggle of the pilgrim to discipline the earthly self in order to make of the earthly self a vessel for the spirit within. In this Yihad, in this holy conflict, your choices are not clear, and yet there is always a light that shines from within. And so we ask you simply to seek that light, to seek the face of love. And when you see that the sunshine radiantly, that is love, to learn from it and to offer yourself to it. For you too can be an agent of love within the confusion. You too can be part of the eventual peace upon planet Earth. It begins with each individual seeker seeking the ideals within herself that she hopes to see in the world. And that kind of wraps it all up. Yeah, it definitely does seem like the more personal work you do, 
there's like, I don't know, the best way to put it is like, it seems like reality tends to shift. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I think it's really good that they're telling us not to take the appearance of things too much to heart because it is an illusion. It is a structure of consciousness in which we are engaged for a didactic educational purpose, not because this is always and forever the way it is. The short span of our third density lives are going to create in us the distinct impression that it's always been like this and therefore it will always be like this. And keeping that faith and finding that point within ourselves where we can make ourselves submissive to the creator and bring their energy and their peace through. That seems to be the way that we can, uh, materially even maybe, you know, I don't, maybe materially is going too far. Maybe it's not material at all, but it does seem like we can bring that peace into our lives and start to spread it amongst those who we have interactions with. I, I think in a large part, that's um, one of the, uh, I wouldn't call it secondary, but associated missions for all of us who are wandering here on earth is to kind of anchor that sense of peace and love and, you know, um, green ray energy here. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a really uh, important lesson. Uh, I, even in talking about it with you, I saw new aspects to it. I think it's uh, with everything that's going on right now, we seem to have this interminable conflict in Ukraine. We have the war in the Middle East right now that it's just heartbreaking and the continuation of many, many, many years of conflict. And I think it's all the more important that we, if there's something that we can do, um, that we uh, put ourselves to the task if, if in those ways that make sense to us, um, like they commented on Jim's comment, it, it, it has to be something that we feel. It can't just be this idea of peace and everything working out. And then we just go about as the same sort of people that we always were. It, it seems like in some way, if we want this transformation at the global scale to occur, that not only does it have to start with us, like it seems like we are the linchpins. Our individual lives are that linchpin. Um, and so it's one more. Re it, and it's not even like at the end of the day, you have to do something special for world peace. Working on yourself is working on world peace. Absolutely. Working on becoming a more gentle, loving, giving person is creating the very conditions that create the possibility for that to be expressed in the wider political world. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Well, I guess that's all I've got. Uh, any closing remarks you want to make, Nathan? No, um, it's been a great channeling uh, to go over. And um, yeah, it always fascinates me how much uh, war plays a role here on third density. So I think it was a very key thing to talk about, especially in this time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we've successfully uh, uh, avoided uh, tipping our hand on our personal political views, which is not easy for me. You're, you're probably much more familiar with how to do that. Everybody knows me as a hothead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I come by it honest with all that activism in my background. So anyway, uh, thanks so much. I, it, I We're recording on a Wednesday, which isn't typical, but like I really appreciate, I know your life has been really hectic. Thanks for making time for this and even pushing for it to happen. 
Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to try and continue the cadence of, you know, every, every once or twice a month, I think is probably good. Um, and, uh, also keep an eye on the uh, High Altitude Receiving Center site as we continue to publish transcripts and recordings from the last intensive. Our theme for this intensive was will, the use of will, the nature of will. So you'll see a lot of different explorations of this as we dive into the different aspects and get deeper and deeper over over the week. Um, so I'm just working on editing all that stuff and getting it out there. Um, so just keep your eyes on the site, uh, continue, uh, doing your seeking. And in the meantime, stay in the love and light.